They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Decentralized Revolution. My name's Aaron and I'm your host. As I record this, it's Wednesday, May 6th. And by now, most of you know that on Saturday, the Libertarian National Committee voted to postpone the National Convention, which had been planned for Austin, Texas over Memorial Day weekend. And they're going to meet this Saturday to decide hopefully when and where the convention will be. At their last meeting, I think they voted to try to have a, an in-person convention as planned. Uh, whether they stick to that or not, we're not exactly sure. We hope they do. Uh, so what does that mean for you? It means if you haven't already, it's obviously now okay to cancel your travel plans for Austin. Uh, flights and uh, hotel reservations, Airbnb, what have you. And if possible, save those flight credits like I'm doing my flight. I, I'm just going to take the credit and apply it to hopefully a flight to somewhere else for the convention. Um, maybe it, it might be back in Austin. We don't know, but it'll be at a different time. So hold on to those flight credits and refunds. And as soon as we know when and where the convention will be held, we will let you know. And we'll let you know what uh, what you need to know as a member or a supporter of the Mises Caucus uh, as soon as we decide on these things. And there's two ways that you can be certain not to miss anything. Uh, so if you're being surprised by this announcement, uh, if you'd been in our private uh, Facebook group, uh, you would have already known about this. And we've got more than 5,000 members in there. It's a great, uh, great forum. We moderate it. So there's not too many crazy people who make it through to, to be able to post things in there. We like to keep decorum and keep it classy. Also sign up for email updates at takehumanaction.com. And that's going to be crucial. The closer we get to the convention to get those updates by email by subscribing at TakeHumanAction.com. On to our guest today, someone who, despite her youth, has been a really valuable member of the Liberty Movement and the LP for more than a decade. She's currently serving as membership manager for the Libertarian Party at their headquarters in Virginia, and it's my pleasure to welcome Jess Mears. Jess, welcome to Decentralized Revolution. Hey, thanks for having me on. That's uh, it's great to have you on, and you're someone that I've actually heard about for quite a while. I've been uh, um, active in the LP in Ohio. I was quite active from about 2010 to 2017, and you left Ohio, I think, right around uh, uh, 2010. Is that it? So we just missed each yeah, other, right? And you're from Lima, is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, 
Yeah. So I was born and raised in Northwestern Ohio, which is not too far from where you live. Right. And um, I initially got involved with the Libertarian Party of Ohio around 2007. Okay. So let's talk about how, about how old were you then and what made you a Libertarian and what made you get involved with the LPO? Sure. And I just want to share a real quick disclaimer. Um, I am a full-time staff member for the National Libertarian Party. I'm not the LP's official spokesperson. That's our chair and our executive director. So um, anything that I share this evening, uh, please don't take it as an official stance of the Libertarian Party. I'm also, besides just being a staff member for the party, I'm an activist and a person. I have my own ideas and opinions and thoughts. So um, please, if you want a official stance, statement from the party, reach out to the chair. Sure. Yeah. We're not going to uh, quote you on anything super heavy. Um, this is just to get to know uh, activists and libertarians. And um, so someone who is quite young already, but has been at it for 13, 14 years, how, what got you started? What made you a, a small L libertarian to begin with? So it was pretty easy for me to find the libertarian ideology. It kind of came to me rather than me finding it. Um, in twenty in two thousand six, I had friends that were at college in their freshman year, and I was a senior in high school. And they told me about this platform named Facebook, and they said you should get on it. And I'm like, why would I? Why would I like get off of MySpace? MySpace right. is the bee's knees, like. And so um, Facebook, I finally signed up for it and it asks for registrations um, to share their political views. And this was in 2006. I'm sure sign up has changed since then. But I saw this drop down menu and it had lots of different options. And I was kind of confused because I came from a family that I thought was conservative leaning and my mom considered herself an independent so I really didn't have any firm political ideas and it wasn't, my family wasn't very political. I was, I was taught as a kid that it wasn't proper to talk politics. So I didn't have my own views. And when I pressed that drop down and I saw all these things that were listed, I went and searched out political parties and I looked at their platforms, including like the DNC and the RNC's platforms. And I found the Libertarian Party's platform and it seemed to be mostly in line with my views at that time. Um, certainly I didn't see everything to be in line, but I was also 17, 18 years old and my worldview has changed a lot uh, over time. Um, but I found the Libertarian Party that way. And in college, I got to my freshman year of um, college and there's the welcome week. And at welcome week, I saw tables that had the college Democrats and the college Republicans. And I was kind of like, Oh, why, why aren't libertarians represented? And I then found out a libertarian club didn't exist. I don't think students for Liberty or young Americans for Liberty were that active in 2007. Um, young Americans for Liberty certainly became active by the time I was leaving, but uh, there wasn't any presence on my college campus. So I started a libertarian club at my college campus and it was an awesome experience. So if you're a student uh, out there and you're interested in getting more involved, one of the best things you can do is just have a campus group. Yep. So you went to the University of Cincinnati, is that right? Mm-hmm, that's okay. right. Okay, and you graduated with communications and public relations, okay? Mm -hmm. So that obviously has, has that helped you quite a bit in your career as an activist? 
Yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of, it comes up sometimes. Um, I don't think of it too often. I studied communication and PR because I didn't know what I wanted to do out in high school. And I knew that communication was a very broad degree and I seemed to be gravitating towards the arts. And so I just wanted to do something that was versatile. I thought media might be something that I could get into because I liked the news. I was really into the news in high school. And actually, I used to really like listening to Don Imus in the morning, which okay. he's no, I, he actually died not too long ago. But yeah. I liked listening to his like shock jock show. It was more interesting than the town that I grew up in. And the local news in Lima, Ohio would have like the hog index and the yep. corn futures yep. and that was the news and i was just i was i was bored with it so i found you know the news was interesting but in my career i've found that that broad background has been really useful because i've i know marketing and um when i've spoken at places and done public speaking people always tell me that i'm a, I'm a really comfortable public speaker and so that kind of that that uh, background in communications has been very helpful in a political career. Yeah, did um, I, I also see on your bio that is this you started a libertarian group at a retirement community? Yeah, I did. I've never heard of that before. You got to tell that story. Oh, I would love to. Um, after college, I was going to be a Peace Corps applicant. And I was a libertarian at the time. And I told my libertarian friends, I'm applying for the Peace Corps. And um, I thought people would give me some grief about it. But a lot of people understand that, you know, the interest in being a volunteer, it's altruistic and not necessarily was I looking to like, you know, do it because I was greedy. I just wanted to volunteer and have the experience of helping humanity. And the Peace Corps was, it's one of the better programs yeah. to help people do volunteering and service overseas. Um, so I was a Peace Corps applicant and I needed to find a place to live after college. And my grandparents live in the villages, Florida. So I moved in with them because I thought, what a better place that to like spend some time while waiting out this long process than with my grandparents in Florida for free. Um, yeah. So I lived with them, uh, with grandma and grandpa in the villages. And the Obama administration defunded the Peace Corps significantly. So that put my placement on hold. I was living in the villages, working for the villages um, in their in their community. And I was kind of like, hey, this office thing isn't as bad as I was thinking. And um, maybe I don't need to go overseas and do service uh, for myself. So I while the um, Obama administration had defunded the Peace Corps, I was like, all right, take take myself out of the process. And um, I lived there for about a year and a half. And I formed this libertarian club while I was there because that's kind of just my my thing. I organize libertarians. Like I did it in college and I was like, all right, we'll just do it here in the libertarian realm <laughs> in the villages. And we were like trying to figure out places to meet and people suggested Perkins. Um, so that's, that's what life is like living in the villages, but the villages are a really massive retirement community and they have, um, clubs, uh, recreation centers and places. So we would meet in the recreation centers and I started getting the libertarian party or the libertarian club of the villages organized. We had a few meetings. I was very much so the youngest person there. And then, um, I moved, I re relocated 
to Sarasota, Florida, and the Tea Party kind of ate up the Libertarian Club that uh, I started. Yeah, that happened kind of with the whole a, a big chunk of the Ron Paul revolution. It, I, I wonder where it went. I think some of the tea party stuff, people kind of went back to the GOP and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's what we're trying to get back going with the Mises caucus. And I know that people in other caucuses in the libertarian party are trying to get some of that, you know, that libertarian moment back Yeah, that, that was so, uh, that was so promising a few years ago. Um, so did you guys just have like book discussions or uh, for your, uh, uh, was it you and a bunch of senior citizens? Yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> it was. And we were just kind of getting organized and we had speakers. Oh yeah, we had speakers come in. Like this okay. is all coming back to me now. Right. Um, but so we would have uh, people that were running for office come in and candidates come talk to the villages. Uh, the villagers is what they're called. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of starting to get get started. And then I took off. Right. Um, let's talk about your, uh, you organized a, um, a county affiliate in Ohio. Is that right? Um, where did I organize a county affiliate? That was in Sarasota. Okay. So that was in Sarasota. So when did you, when in the timeline, did you run for office here in Ohio? I ran in 2010. It was my senior year of college. And so there's a remarkable difference in the Libertarian Party from when I first got involved to today. And I think people who've been involved for a long time have seen this transition and seen the party growth. And that's kind of something I was hoping that I could convey tonight um, on this podcast. And also, I noticed um, you have 15 episodes and I'm the first female. So thank yep. you for having me yep. <laughs> um, to represent the female Libertarian Legion. Um, happy to be here. Um, so something I really want to convey to people is that if you're new to the Libertarian Party, I want to share with you that I think one of the best things you can do for this for this movement is to stay with the party. It does sometimes eventually get frustrating. We all get burnt out with um, any volunteer activity that is yeah. not specific just to the Libertarian Party. If you put yourself in, um, in the shoes of a leadership role, it can get exhausting. And, but stick with the party and manage your own expectations for yourself. One, yeah. uh, one thing that you can do is as a local leader, you can set your goals for your involvement. And my goals are always to at least maintain what I walked into. So if you can, with your involvement at the county level, uh, keep your organization, keep your mailing list going, your website active, and the same number of people coming, you've done by far so much good for the movement because it's so easy for these things to collapse. Like I've already mentioned that the the villages group got taken up by the um, tea party. So these like county level organizations are very fragile. And if, if somebody gets burnt out and leaves with all of the infrastructure with them, then that county affiliate is no longer able to funnel new voters, new volunteers, new energy, because somebody's going to have to recreate and resurrect everything. So I have been involved at the county level. And that's, that's some advice I really want to impress upon people is manage your expectations so that you don't yourself get burnt out. So you can stay with this party and stay with this movement. You know, it's sometimes Things will um, potentially, you know, you might not agree with everything that happens in this in this party, but knowing that the constant needs to be the people that are good leaders and organizers. 
Yeah. And I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that phrase, managing expectations, because um, as someone who was in leadership at the LPO for a few years, you see a lot of people come in and they think that they're going to be elected governor, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you know, people want to kind of start at the top sometimes. So I really admire people who do what you said is take a, a, a position that's a little more manageable. Uh, don't let it run and uh, consume their entire life, you know, yeah. have, have a life outside the party, have mm -hmm. a family, have, have a career, but uh, with a little bit of uh, commitment, you can actually do a lot. I think sometimes the, how much work you put into it is sometimes is not always directly related. Sometimes it's, you can do a lot more by doing, by doing less and, and just trying to create, um, a good culture where people can come in and like you say, not get too disappointed, um, and burn out quickly and, uh, get them, get them involved, make them feel welcome and start mm -hmm. small victories, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's really fun to get involved at first because a lot of the people that come into the LP don't have a political background. Like they weren't raised in it. Like the GOP kind of just raises its activists because right. their mom and dad do it. And so it's just part of their life and their culture. And people kind of find the libertarian ideology, find the party, get involved, and they want to put so much of their life into it that it just, it's, it causes like issues in your life because you're so invested in this. And then, yep. you know, we're here for the long haul. That's what the party's for. And the thing is we're, we're actually winning. I have an over an hour presentation that I put together in 2018 or 2019, and it's still relevant right now. So if anyone's interested in checking out this presentation that I've, I go over like beginning to the future type of information. Um, it's called my what's going on presentation. And you can go to my Facebook page and it's under the videos and it's over an hour and a half of information that will like kind of help you get caught up to speed and where has the party been and where is it going and what are we doing here? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Cause that's kind of, I think that's, I think so much of the issue with our movement in the libertarian party is we're not all looking at the same thing of what it is we're trying to accomplish. And I think people need to have facts and figures and those facts, and those numbers are not easy to resurrect. So I resurrected information and I'm, I want to share it. I want you to hopefully listen to it. And um, I hope it's helpful in understanding the party and what we're trying to do, it is, it is successful. It's not as successful as we all want it to be, but we're, we're showing success. And in one of the ways that we can easily see success is the number of libertarians that we have elected to office. Yep. A year ago, this time we had 180 elected libertarians right now we have 235. Yep. That's a huge percentage increase. I didn't do yep. the math, but we're actually seeing where we're being successful. It's just such a, it's, it's not the rapid pace everyone wants. And we have yeah. to find where are we being successful and how can we shift our, like our mindset. And even in the national sphere, our, our issues are winning. We're winning on issues, but we're not seeing them necessarily as libertarian victories, but society we're seeing um, things like death with dignity that's winning in states. 
Um, marijuana is a huge victory that libertarians have been championing. Just five years ago, the Supreme Court made it so that um, gay couples can get married. And that's that's not even that long ago. But the the way that like our lives have changed where I think the stigma around um, gay marriage is so it's like pretty much gone away just because now people have the right to get married in five years. So much has changed. Um, Uber and free market innovations. These are popular things. Criminal justice reform. It's really trendy right now with Democrats and Republicans. So that's kind of like a before the pandemic was like a buzzy issue that Democrats and Republicans were championing for us. Um, so just so many different types of issues that are libertarian are popular with people. But then again, we have people that just aren't understanding the whole package. So at least we're winning on some indi in individual issues here and there. Um, so liberty is popular. It's just not when we package it necessarily as libertarian. Right. And that's kind of a paradox and it's unfortunate. Um, so what, what are some of the things that we can do differently? One of the things you said you wanted to talk about was your vision for maybe where things could go. Mm -hmm. I guess, do you talk about that some in the presentation you mentioned? Yeah, I definitely do. I try to lead to the final points of really what I want to see this party um, be. And I want to see it be a, an election machine and getting people that have um, understandings of the libertarian ideology elected to office. And uh, a local office is really where I feel like we should be investing a lot of our energy. So I went through kind of the step by steps on um, how do how did we get to where we are today? But how do we start moving our resources in a way that we are the building blocks for what we want to see eventually? Like, obviously, we all want libertarian utopia society and how we get there. Everyone has different ideas, but the reason why we are libertarian party activists is because we want to do elections. There's institutions like the Cato Institute that puts out papers and, um, you know, it's a think tank that that's a think tank that has 30 plus million dollars a year. As of a couple of years ago, we have in the libertarian party, we raise about $1.7 million a year. It depends each year. Um, but we need to start investing our resources into building for electoral victories in the future. And something that's kind of like, like really interesting. That's specific to my own life. Um, I live in the DC area right now and I was living in Florida and I was working for the party remotely for a year and a half. And I wanted to relocate to Boston just because I wanted a new city. And the party said, you know, why, why don't you think about the DC area and you can work out of our headquarters. We have a building. The party owns a yep. building that's nearly yep. paid for. Yep. Um, and it's my office. That's where I work. Yep. Um, so they said like, why don't, why don't you consider DC? And so I thought about it. I'm like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. And as somebody who wants to be um, a longtime libertarian activist as my job, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold. I'll go ahead and move to DC. And I did it with the thought that in, in the event that somebody is elected to Congress as a libertarian, maybe I thought their opponents might have like, say like the Democrat dies and the Republicans a pedophile and it's the perfect storm where the libertarian just gets elected and they weren't even expecting it. I thought, well, at least I'll be in DC where I could help this, this like candidate 
that got elected right. a little bit on accident um, to help them get started. So I moved here with the intention of that in mind. And this past week has been really cool for us to have our first yeah. legislator and Justin Amash at the federal level. Now, Justin switched parties. He was elected as a Republican, switched to independent, now switched to libertarian. But um, it's just kind of very cool that in that one and a half years alone that I've moved to DC, we've done what I was thinking was a long shot. I thought somebody literally had to die and somebody had to come at like it be exposed that someone's a pedophile for us to get a legislator like in the near future. Because this is like we're working towards long-term goals here, but it happened a year and a half later. We have Justin Amash in Congress as a libertarian. And so I'm feeling really good about that. And I'm really excited about it. I hope that our, you know, we're showing remarkable improvements in just even the past year and a half that I've been in the DC area. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it is pretty historic and I've always, uh, I've been waiting for that too, for a long time. I thought maybe we would get, uh, Gary in the Senate, uh, last time yeah. around, but that didn't go as well, but that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I want to get to your time with Gary Johnson here in a minute yeah. too, but first, uh, you're talking about the, the necessity of learning how to, uh, go after local offices. Now in Ohio state Senate, it's not exactly local, but the districts aren't that huge either. So I would consider what you ran for as kind of being kind of a hybrid local state type thing. What, what did you learn uh, 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 campaigning at that scale? And, and, and after that you're saying now, we should focus on more local stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of got into a tangent and sometimes that's, I rant. So that's what this is for. Yeah. That. Um, in 2010, I was asked to run for office because candidates were needed. And I was told, you know, you don't need to put in much time at all. We just need you on the ballot. And they were trying to recruit as many candidates as possible. So I was a paper candidate. I was a college student and I did not take my campaign seriously. Um, I got about 3% of the vote and that was just people who either wanted to vote for someone named Jessica or vote for a libertarian, or they didn't want to vote for either of the other options. I did not earn the votes. I really did not campaign for them. Um, so it just shows that having a libertarian on the ballot, I think I got like three, 4,000 votes or something like that. Um, there's people want to vote for libertarians and, um, so I'm glad that I was able to provide the voters the choice, but at the time in my life, I just, I wasn't going to be taking a campaign seriously. And I did it because candidates were needed and I thought, why not? Yeah. Um, and so it was asked, but I wanted to convey what I was trying to say earlier, how much the parties changed in 2010, when I was asked to be a candidate and just run on a paper campaign to 2020. And in Ohio, I know candidates are being encouraged to run more robust campaigns. Uh, nobody helped me in 2010. I think we've improved a lot on the resources that we have, the manpower that we have. We have more people than we did before. There's more interest. So um, that's what I'm saying is stay with the party. I, from someone who's been involved for a long time, 
things do change, but we need people around that are willing to make this organization better. And um, let's get better at electing libertarians, but we only can do it together as, as a community. And so that's why it's so important for people to stay involved um, because, you know, I, there, there should hopefully be more people that are being prepared to run for office and every libertarian party activist should consider themselves a future candidate. If, if you're not considering yourself a future candidate, you're not necessarily doing the movement as much justice as you could. If you were thinking in your head that I might run someday, you may not want to run someday. There's plenty of reasons not to run for office. Um, actually being an elected libertarian is an incredibly tough job. It's not easy. If you talk to anybody that is elected to public office, that is a libertarian, they're going to tell you that it's really hard. Sometimes they have enemies on their boards um, because like they're, you know, trying to do things like, you know, roll back the budget. That's not always a popular thing with these local municipalities. Um, so stick with us and let's help get more people elected to office and make it so that we have Libertopia, liber Libertarian Society is a is something that we see in the future, and we can only do that if we manage our expectations yep. and not not burn ourselves out, and also just work well with others and be understanding. And and something like I didn't mention earlier, but when I was that eighteen year old that found Libertarianism and the Libertarian Party, when I looked at the platform. That platform specifically said that the party was for legalization of marijuana or for decriminalization or however it was worded. You can see the party platform and all of the previous versions of it. Those are all online. Um, but I was 18 years old and my judgment was clouded with my religious views at the time, which I thought that cannabis was a sin and that nobody should do it. So my personal views have changed a lot over time. We all have to use a lot of empathy and understanding that not everybody has the same views as each other. And some people are on that journey to finding um, themselves to be, you know, more experienced and a more knowledgeable libertarian and a more understanding libertarian. We're just, we're not always all um, speaking to each other with understanding and compassion. So I think if we can, um, you know, like relate to each other more as humans that, you know, it's like, let me help let me help share with you my view rather than telling somebody like they're wrong. Um, that's going to go a long way to making friends. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I kind of come from the right too. Um, I was a Republican activist uh, in you know college Republicans way back in the mid nineties. Um, and uh, uh, I was already starting to be a small L libertarian then. And I finally, you know, quit the Republicans and came over to the Libertarians and, and even, you know, I'm an ANCAP. Um, and so there's people, there's a, there's such a great diversity of views within the Libertarian party, people who are minarchists mm -hmm. and who are, you know, even more moderate and things like that. And I, I found that that's a, a special thing that we can come from different backgrounds and even have different views now, but still, get along and, and get things accomplished. And, and you uh, mentioned uh, altruism. Like I don't, you know, libertarian activists are some of the most altruistic people I know. We're working for people that we don't even know. We're trying to make the world a better, freer place for, for people all around the world 
uh, for people in future generations. And all most of us get right now is a lot of uh, uh, heartache and uh, mm -hmm. blood, sweat and tears and all that. So um, I think it's good. Um, you know, again, somebody coming from the right, you know, you come across atheists and I'm not an atheist. And um, I, I've had very few run-ins with people on, on things like that, because we're, for the most part, we all have this shared thing that is so rare to find another libertarian is, is still uh, such a good thing that I think we should f always try to focus on what we have in common. Yeah. Rather and than the word peace. Yeah. That's one we don't use enough. Like <laughs> yeah. I wish we could just put peace over everything because take away libertarian and people understand what peace is. Yeah. And we're, we're trying to make a more peaceful world, more harmony amongst human beings. And it's like, yeah. just focus on peace. Yep. Yeah. That's my number one issue is, uh, is peace, especially the, the foreign wars and stuff like that. And I, I'm proud to be a part of a party that is, is good on that. And another guy who was good on that was Gary Johnson. I got to see him campaign uh, here in Ohio in 2012 and 2016. And I know there's, you know, a lot Did you of come to the Cincinnati rally. Yeah. The UC I rally. That one. Yeah. I was in the, <laughs> I was in the front row. I was there. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that was, that was big. There were several hundred people there, I think. Right? Okay. I'm so glad you came and that we can talk, talk about it because um, I didn't work very closely with Gary in 2016. I was more working with Bill Weld okay. and I got to work with Gary the last couple weeks of the election. And Gary was so much fun to, uh, plan his events. And so the one that Aaron went to was the Cincinnati red stadium, um, rally and Gary, like we had it in the stadium, uh, this, this rally. And there were so many people that came and were interested that we had overflow seating in the actual stadium. Our, um, thank you. Our, yeah. um, uh, if you, so how, what did you think of it? Like, I'm well, so excited here cause I planned it. I, actually, I think we got our wires crossed. I was at, I think it must've been 2012 at a rally on the UC campus. Oh, okay. U University of Cincinnati campus. So, okay. but your, your story is more interesting. So they, they oh, had it, right. something at the Reds game. Well, that's actually like kind of in um, circles to in 2008, I planned a rally for Bob Barr at UC's campus while I was there. Yep. Yeah. So um, I was involved with the 2016 campaign, but in 20 or 2012, but in 2016, I, I, I worked full time on Gary Johnson's campaign and um, I did event planning. And so same thing as if you're a libertarian party activist at the county level, how you juggle and wear so many hats and do so many different things. It happens on campaigns. I did like, you know, just various roles, but my primary one was event planning and I really would like to share with everybody um, a little secret trick that I did. And I, I think a lot of libertarian activists would kind of like to know this information on how to become a full-time paid libertarian. Yep. Um, I know that I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I have an opportunity to work for the Libertarian Party as my employer. And it's really cool experience to be able to go from being a full-time activist to being a paid libertarian. I worked full-time on Gary Johnson's campaign um, and I was a paid activist for, for the campaign for what I, my, I was a, cons a consultant and um, I had actually supported Austin Peterson for president in 2016 because I thought 
I was tired of voting for Republicans that switched over to the Libertarian Party. And I thought Austin Peterson, good messenger, um, you know, fun guy to hang out with. And I like got to know him pretty well um, when he came and started his campaign in St. Petersburg, Florida. And before I met Austin, I did not plan on supporting him. Um, I didn't know who I was going to support in 2016. I was a delegate um, and I wasn't employed by anything libertarian at the time. Um, and so I, I heard Austin on a radio show before I actually got to meet him. My county had planned uh, media hits for him as he was launching his presidential campaign in Florida. And I heard this young man, this guy that I knew, and I didn't even know anything about Austin Peterson at the time. I heard heard him on this radio show and he was so succinct and so well, um, spoken. And the radio show host was a liberal and he, he really did a fantastic job. And I'm like, dang, this guy is smart. And then I got to know him cause he was in Florida for about a week. And I, you know, I decided I was going to support Austin, um, and try to help him with his campaign. So Austin didn't get the nomination, which you know, he, he lost to Gary Johnson. And, um, after Gary Johnson had received the nomination, I decided at that time I was going to focus local in Florida because we had Augustus Invictus running for U S Senate at the time. And, um, his opponent was Paul Stanton. And I wanted to do everything I could to make sure Augustus Invictus did not receive the nomination or win our primary. We had a primary election for U S Senate in 20, or this was 2016. Um, so I decided I was going to try to focus local, but then the party realized, or the Gary Johnson campaign reached out to me a few times. And I really realized that they needed the help with getting things started getting things moving post nomination. So I accepted a role working for the campaign and it was even unclear as to what I was supposed to do. I was, I thought I was supposed to be Bill Weld's aide. Um, but then it turned out that, you know, they just didn't even know exactly what they needed. So campaigns, presidential campaigns can gear up real quick, especially when money comes in, there are opportunities. So be prepared, everybody, that there may be an opportunity for campaigning, um, this year. Once we have a nominee, if the money is coming in, like Gary Johnson's campaign raised $12 million. So they got to hire people. So I got hired, um, after the election on election night, I met Lauren Doherty. She was was working for the national party and she was interested in getting a fundraising team together. The party did not have a fundraising team at that time. Um, and Lauren had the expertise. So she asked if I would come on as uh, development staff. So I came in on as fundraising. So my, my secret tip, if you want to be a libertarian that gets money for being a libertarian, um, I'm, by money, I mean your income, um, learn fundraising skills. They're, anybody can learn how to do fundraising. Yeah. It's not that difficult, but it takes time. It is a skill that you need to develop. You can start fundraising for your county affiliate. You can fundraise for candidates, but learn how to fundraise because organizations are always hiring fundraisers. People get started in fundraising and then move on to something else because, you know, fundraising is a really good way to have your foot in the door. And there is a website called talentmarket.com that is a free market job posting service. Like this is purely dedicated to helping libertarians get free market jobs to be like libertarians full time. So check out talent market. If you're looking to make a change in your career to 
be a libertarian. I used to work in local government and I hated it. So like, so grateful I can be a libertarian full time. Um, and I hope that more people because of this podcast will think about maybe making a career change to be a full-time libertarian. You're not going to make as much money as you would in the private sector. Um, but you know, this is a, this is a growing movement and with our growth comes opportunities. Other than fundraising, what are some skills that you see being in demand, uh, possibly, you know, this year and, and going forward? It all depends. Like I know the Mises caucus, um, is really made up of some people that I think that have been learning a lot about libertarianism for a while, but they're kind of new to the party. Would you yeah. say that's an accurate statement? I think so. And, and a lot of us, um, are people who, um, well, one of our focuses is getting people who are small L libertarians already getting them mm -hmm. to become big L libertarians. And if that's under our banner, then that's good for the party. Um, because there are a lot of people and we may want to get into that, you know, reasons why small L libertarians aren't members of the party. Some are just on principle opposed to uh, participating in politics, which I disagree with, but I totally understand. Uh, but I think you're right. A lot of our people are somewhat reluctantly party members. Um, mm -hmm. and so we're trying to build a culture where they don't, where they're not, where they feel like their time and money are, are actually bearing fruit. Uh, and right. it's not, and it's not a, a futile gesture that a lot of them thought it was. Right. Well, so there's, you know, there's that whole, like, my interest has always been in, politics and electioneering. And so I've had to take the time to learn more about things like economics because that's, that is not my interest or my background. So we have things we all have to kind of like catch up our skills on. And so if you're, if you've been, you know, interested in libertarian ideas, but you don't know much about the politics angle of it, you're going to have to catch up on those skills. You, you're building skills. I've been to conferences and trainings on how to uh, elect people to public office. It's, it's something that you have to invest your time into learning. So just like you learn, you know, Austrian economics, you can also learn how to be a candidate, how to be a um, campaign manager. There's so many things to get into when it comes to that and why someone should run for office or when they should run for office. So learning those skills is something that's going to be really useful. But the good news is, is that in the liberty movement, there's also jobs that aren't necessarily all politics related, yep. like the Cato Institute, Reason Magazine. Like if you're a strong writer and um, you want to learn how to or you want to like potentially segue a career into journalism, um, there are, you know, positions that are available. So I'm I'm all about whatever it is that you can do to um, somebody just sent me right now as we're talking that there's a. Um, there's a hiring position for an assistant editor at the collegefix.com. Okay. So there's some information. Okay. <laughs> and I think that you're right that it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to be political, uh, a political expert to do things like uh, video and sound production and, and mm -hmm. uh, photography and, and, uh, and stuff like that. I know that we, uh, you know, we're always looking for people to, we have little projects here and there with the caucus, with our website and stuff that uh, we're, we've been able to pay people to do, which is, uh, which is always nice. 
Um, so let's talk about before we get into what you're doing right now for the LP, you did a, you were a campaign manager in 2018 for a, a, mm-hmm. a house special election in Florida. Tell us, uh, you had some success there, I think. Uh, tell us what happened. Oh, I hope, I hope it was considered a success. Yeah. Um, so Allison Foxall was a libertarian activist in Florida. She was on the state leadership and very well known in the state for being somebody that did a lot of great work for the state affiliate and was dependable. And Allison's state rep resigned because the state GOP was bullying her and she didn't want to obey. So instead of putting up with the the bullying from the state leadership in the GOP, she decided to resign from her position. And Allison reached out to me and asked if I thought she should consider this special election. And this was in 2018, um, right after the, right at the beginning of 2018. So it was the, the end tail end of 2017, um, that this all happened. And I told Allison, yes, girl, you should do it. And so that also meant like that I was also volunteering to help Allison out. Um, so one thing is when you encourage someone to run for office, they're going to expect that you help them because, Building a campaign team is very difficult to yep. get a body of people willing to dedicate their time and energy into your campaign. Um, Allison's campaign, she was a young female. We're close in age. We're both like in our early 30s. Um, it got a lot of attention. Uh, libertarians in a special election, we thought it was going to be really good opportunity for us to get like 15% of the vote and show some remarkable numbers. But it ended up being one of those bellwether type of elections. It was not a sleepy special election in Florida. It was a um, people were looking at it as to an indication of how the 2018 elections would go. And the blue wave smothered Sarasota, Florida, because they, they just brought out the money and the people. They had a great candidate. And that district went blue and nobody was expecting it. But we, we found out in the final weeks how how much the um, Democrats wanted to flip Florida blue in that district. So it was a very interesting and challenging and rewarding experience for me to manage a campaign for a fellow libertarian female. It was it was a it was a it was very challenging because yeah. there's a lot of things that come up that um, you you know, weren't expecting when you when you get into that kind of a role. And also, we talked about managing expectations. I didn't do a good job then. Um, it things would have obviously been smoother had we had um, clear expectations and everything to begin with. But it was a campaign that received significant media coverage. Allison debated with her with her. Um, opponents. And even as libertarians, one of the things we just struggle with is getting equal recognition as our opponents. And Allison having her father was in the local media. He was a, a reporter. Or he had worked in the, the local newspaper because her dad had those connections. Um, and her, her dad was uh, unfortunately passed away, but she had connections with her last name, with the media. They, they gave her fair coverage in 2018. Yep. And that's that's remarkable on its own. We also raised over $40,000 and Allison, because I was a staff employee for the party at the time, I was not raising money for the campaign. I didn't want to have a conflict of interest asking people to donate to a campaign when I was managing it and I wasn't receiving an income from it, but I didn't want there to be that kind of like 
potential conflict where people would consider that I was managing a campaign and working for the party and like siphoning off donor funds from the party. So Allison did that fundraising $40,000. The girl did amazing. She Facebook messaged people asking for five, 25 bucks. And because she put in the time first, People were willing to donate to her. And not only were just the people in Florida that she knew willing to donate to her, but nationwide, libertarians were excited about a young female running for a special election when other there wasn't the noise of other candidates because it was yeah. a special election off of normal election cycle. So she got significant coverage for that campaign. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm very proud of Allison for running. I know it was a very challenging experience for her being a first-time candidate and thrust into that because it's it was so much more than we had even anticipated at the beginning. Um, so it was a cool experience. And I I hope that other people will consider managing a campaign. It's, it's difficult, but it's rewarding and you'll learn a lot from it. Um, do you see yourself doing that again? Something like that, running a campaign? Yeah, I'm hoping that in 2024, I could be in a position to manage a presidential race. So I've kind of dedicated my life to this movement, including like selling my assets and relocating. So um, I'm really trying to prepare myself for how can I how can I be of service to this party? And um, I don't think I'm I'm ready for uh, being a candidate again. But I think that helping people be candidates is where I fit in really well. And that's a great role for me. Well, let's talk about the role that you have right now. You said you came mm-hmm. on to the uh, LP national in development, and now you're the membership manager. Yeah. What, what does that do? How did you end up over there and, and what's going on there? So we, we didn't have a development department before I was brought on. And um, I really saw in that time that I was working just in general development, that we had a big need for growing our membership programs and focusing on smaller dollar donors. So people that give $25 a year, um, getting them to be more invested in the organization, it was something I kind of noticed that we really needed to improve that smaller dollar program. And about 66% of our revenue comes from donors that are giving membership gifts. So that's a huge portion of the Libertarian Party's national revenue is coming from people who are giving annually or um, they are also giving monthly on a monthly basis. So I focused mostly on those kinds of gifts that are membership related. And my, my work is it's, it's, there's a lot that goes on. Um, I do fundraising. And so I'm always every month trying to make sure that I'm meeting a certain amount of revenue that's coming in that um, I'm, I'm managing all of these appeals that you're getting. Like if you get text messages from us, sorry, I have to send that to you, but please renew your membership because the party actually really needs all of us that are um, supporting the party. And $25 a year isn't very much. Right. And I don't mean to say that it's not a significant amount of of a contribution. But in 2010, Kevin Nedler, who was the Ohio chair, well, this was in 2008, I actually joined the party as a dues paying member. And I had put it off because I didn't want to contribute. Kevin told me, you need to be a member of the party. 
And I was like, Kevin, I'm in college. That's five tri trips to Chipotle because Chipotle used to be cheaper back then. And I was like, I need to feed myself. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You need to do it. So I sent in a check and my membership form and became a dues paying member in 2008. And um, I've over the years, sometimes I haven't necessarily been able to afford a gift, um, but I just ask that people do realize how much the party relies on that revenue. Um, I mentioned earlier, Cato is like a $30 million a year organization, yeah. and the party is like $1.5 million a year. So that's not, that's not a lot of revenue for considering the party tries to get 50 state presidential ballot access. Yeah. Like the what it does with that little... 1.5 million dollars a year it's a lot of money but what we do with it is kind of unmatched in the liberty sphere you can't really find an organization that can take your dollar and multiply that into that big of an opportunity for the party well let, let's talk about exactly what um what contributions do go for and what what they could what they're doing now at the lp and what they want to do if they get to the next levels of fundraising. Mm -hmm. So what are the most important things? Ballot access, of course, is always one, but what are, what are some of the other ones? Yeah, and I would definitely say these kinds of conversations come from the chair as to where the organization would go. Say it were right. to like have five times more the annual revenue than it does now. Yeah. Um, but obviously investing more into candidates and elections and um you know our convention is something that you know we could even make a bigger convention we could do we could do so many more things with a lot more um revenue that could come in but i would personally from myself say uh investing it into elections some of the things that we're funding as a national party are already election related so we have like two staffers that are dedicated to campaigns one is kara Scholes, our candidate recruitment specialist so she's recruiting candidates and providing them with training um and some you know tools and resources and we're able to provide a modest amount of training to our candidates but one of my friends that ran for state house in 2018 she said that it was at least she found it helpful and for the level of campaigning that she was running um she she thought it was adequate so that's a huge remarkable difference from in 2010 I had no resources as a candidate to 2018. We actually have trainings and somebody organizing and recruiting candidates. Then we also have Apollo Pizzell who is running um, a frontier project. And Apollo's goal is to get someone or multiple people elected to state house. And so if you're not familiar, we don't currently have any legislators in any state house seats, even though there's like 2,500 across the United yeah. States. He got very close in 2018 with Bethany Baldez, and technically yeah. we won that race. And I believe I cover in that What's Going On presentation that I spent like an hour and a half preparing or hour and a half presenting. Um, so that's that's where um, we're investing some resources this year is into getting candidates trained, recruited. And then Apollo has his very specific project where he's working and targeting races. And he's mostly Western states where there's um, prime opportunity for getting people elected to the state legislature. And more information will be coming out this year. That's kind of a breathing project that um, is really revolving around Apollo and Apollo's um, his expertise. And he's, he's, 
one of the most talented political operatives I have personally met. Um, so Apollo's got a lot of really great skills. We've got some, some of the best libertarian activists working for the party. And I would love to see the party bring on more people. So when I say like opportunities are out there, I'm trying to create them. That's why I ask people for money is because I want to make more of the best libertarian activists out there working for the party. So I'm sorry I have to ask you for money, but we need it because we need we need more of a more of what we're doing. Um, and it seems to be working. Like I've said, like we're seeing issues succeeding. We're seeing an improvement in candidates. 180 this time last year, 235 this year. Like that's that's some remarkable numbers. If people do want to become members of the national LP, how do, how do they do that? If you just go to the LP website or lp.org slash join, you can, with a gift of $25 and agreeing, checking the box for the non-aggression principle, that's one of the things to become a bylaws sustaining member. You have to agree to the non-aggression principle and say that you affirm that you do not um, utilize, you, you oppose the initiation of force to achieve your political goals, your political or... Social, 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 I think. Yep. yep. So that's the NAP. You have to sign that to be a bylaw sustaining member yep. and a gift of $25. But obviously a gift, a recurring gift of $5 or more is incredibly useful because um, that kind of that um, recurring gift when you're looking at nonprofits, nonprofits live and die by their donor base. And by having a monthly pledge of an amount that works for you and your budget is going to help the party better prepare and anticipate for the future. So when we grow our pledge donor base, we can start saying, okay, this is where we're at now. Let's start like preparing and putting it, this, deploying this kind of, of a donor base into certain resources. Um, we just have a couple minutes left. Um, my wife really likes that show, the voice, and I have to watch the voice with her whenever Ooh, it's on. Okay. So right. we, I have seven minutes to get downstairs, um, sure. but, but we've, we've, and you, you've got to get to your taco, right? You just, had Oh yeah. Tacos I have tacos delivered. literally sitting in front of me on Cinco de Mayo during a pandemic on taco Tuesday. And somebody went to great lengths to get these for me. Right. It's great discipline that you haven't uh, dug into them already. So, <laughs> so we'll let you do that here in a, here in a minute. Um, I, I know that you don't have any more information than uh, than I do on what's going on with our, our convention. Um, we're hopefully we'll get it scheduled here within the next week or two. But what's the what's the pitch for why why you should come to the convention, even if you're maybe even if you're not a delegate this year. What, what's going to go on and, and why would you show up even given the circumstances? Sure. And there's so much in flux. Um, coming in person to a convention is an incredible experience. And it's kind of, if you go, you're, you're going to leave differently because you're going to have conversations that are going to change your mind. You're going to meet people that you're going to consider family for like the future. Um, so it's, it's a experience that if you can make it, um, I definitely suggest going, although this year with it being a pandemic, um, I personally am not like advocating for people to come to ev events in person, um, at this time, just because I, given what circumstance we're in at the moment, um, I, you know, just told my little sister who's going to go see my grandparents next week, yeah. like, can you please 
be careful. Like, yeah. no, don't like kill our grandparents. She's going to fly. Yeah. So um, obviously that concern is there. And I want to share one last story. Sure. Um, so I mentioned that I fundraise as staff. That's that's what I do as my daily job. Um, it can get a little monotonous and everything because it's it's um, fundraising work and not always like the kind of in the field grassroots stuff that like we love doing as libertarian activists. Mm -hmm. But there's special unique opportunities that come from being a full-time libertarian. One of them being that I live in the DC area and I network. There's a huge liberty movement here. Now, the Libertarian Party movement, maybe not as robust, but there are libertarians in DC. They're all over the place and they're very well connected. And I came and got involved with a community that I didn't know existed here of professional class libertarians. Yep. And so I've made a lot of great friends that are leaders in the liberty realm that are not involved with the party. And um, when I met, I, I talked to Lynn Albrecht at Liberty Forum in New mm -hmm. Hampshire. And I, I realized then that I could actually help this woman um, with my connections that I have. So she told me she'd be going to CPAC, which is held in the DC area. And I said, well, I would love to introduce you to this person, this person, this person, because these are people that have some knowledge that might be helpful and Lynn Albrecht getting her son out of prison. Yeah. Um, so I introduced Lynn to one of my friends that used to work for the Bush administration and, and is an executive in a corporation. And um, I was sitting there in this meeting between Lynn and my friend. And Lynn told me, Lynn said that she thought it was the best meeting that whole week where she was at CPAC. And she found so much useful information from my friend. And I could just hear her breathe this like sigh of relief where she learned something new and felt like she could get one step closer to getting her son out of prison. So that is a unique experience that I've had as a libertarian, but I wouldn't have had this opportunity had I not been in the position I'm in as a staff member. So please go online and sign the petition to free Ross. Yep. Um, but realize that, you know, you have the ability to change people's lives. Like just hearing Lynn in that sigh of relief meant so much to me and all of the work that I have done. Um, and so I wanted to share that story because there's, you can change people's lives and make people literally breathe easier yep. through being a libertarian activist. And so I thank you for letting me have this time to share yeah. all this information. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that is a great story. And that, that's uh, a, a really great cause too. Uh, Ross does not deserve to be where he is. I've written to him and, and signed the petition and um, really hope that one day, one day we'll be able to welcome him to a, a libertarian convention one year. That yeah, would be definitely. great. That would be great. Well, I, I appreciate your uh, help a lot. Hopefully we'll get to meet uh, down the road sometime. And uh, in the meantime, stay healthy and uh, enjoy your tacos. Okay. Thank you so much. Have okay. a good evening. Enjoy the voice. All right. We will. Thanks, Jess. Bye-bye. Thanks. And there you have it. I'd like to thank Jess Mears for her time and all her hard work in the Liberty Movement and with the National Party. I'd also like to say thanks to everyone who works for the Libertarian Party at their HQ there in Northern Virginia for their hard work, especially with everything going on this year. As always, thanks to Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. My next guest will be the author of Why the Federal Reserve Sucks, and he's just killing it with his analysis of the uh, coronavirus lockdown situations out there. Uh, so we're going to have a lot to talk about with Murray Sabrin. 
He'll be the guest on episode 17 of Decentralized Revolution, which should be up by Monday, May 11th. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.